All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 103. We're happy to have you back. We're going to be talking all of your calls in college football. And there's a lot going on. We had the first CFP rankings. We've got Maction on on a couple of channels right now on ESPNU and ESPN2. And let's see here. It's going to be myself, Bob Akairi. It's going to be my co-host, J.D. Moore. We always love hearing from you. It's Tuesday night. Let's talk college football. J.D., are you with me? Yes, I am here. And again, I am just reflecting on the fact that, you know, it has been one year since we started doing these Reddit CFB talks. You know, it still, I don't think, has hit that credenza of, you know, having a monkey be the entire story of college football. But you know what? We're going to continue to manifest wonderful stories like that. We've got a lot to talk about tonight with Maction, with these new college football rankings. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, we'll get a little bit of chaos with some breaking news in that same exact vein. I'm going to manifest that, and I am just praying and begging for, you know, what exotic pet decided to eat a child's face this year? That's all I'm hoping for for the breaking reports tonight. Yeah, you bring up a great point. This is actually the one-year anniversary of when we started these shows. We started them on Reddit. Because they actually suggested we try it. And then after six shows, we moved it over to Twitter. We've been here since. And yeah, it, it was a Tuesday Maction, the first Tuesday of Maction last year, the first college football rankings. And as you said, Monkey Gate was literally happening as it occurred. It was right during Halloween when, the, <laughs> when that kid got bit. So anyway, but all of that said, there's a lot going on this week. We obviously, Brian Harson dominated the news cycle yesterday. And we just had Matt Barry on a little over an hour ago to talk about what's going on with the CFP rankings. That's obviously the bigger news tonight. Tennessee fans have got to be thrilled. They're number one. And it's the first time since 1998 that that's happened. And I don't think anyone necessarily disagrees with that. I think they're, I mean, we're going to decide who's number one in the SEC real quick because of the game this weekend. And that's exciting to have a number one versus number three match right out the gate. And then Ohio State, I think the biggest question is going to be Clemson. I think a lot of, there's a lot of, you could sense from some of the callers on the uh, earlier show that they weren't exactly thrilled seeing Clemson above Michigan. And I know TCU fans are kind of hoping for more. We've talked about it before. I don't know if it's Poland or show or what, but again, we love hearing from you. So if you want to talk about anything about college football, it doesn't have to be these topics. It can be whatever you feel like. Hit request. We'll let you up. We'd love to hear from you. It's something we enjoy. But that said, J.D., I got to ask your thoughts on TCU. You're a TCU guy. And what are your thoughts seeing them? Well, first of all, even in the rankings at this point, I think uh, it's so funny to think before the season versus now. What are your thoughts? Well, I think obviously one of the major surprises has been Sonny Dyke succeeding so well at TCU. I think a lot of people heading into the season were just very happy with the idea of hey, you know what, he might be able to have a winning season. He might be able to take Gary Patterson's recruits and players and be able to turn it into a winning season for this year. But then, you know, he's now 8-0. He's got multiple ranked wins. Uh, he had four consecutive ranked wins over the course of this past month. And then, you know, now he's in a top 10 playoff team uh, in the race. Uh, it's absolutely incredible to see what's happening in Fort Worth. I'll actually be at the upcoming game with Texas Tech and TCU in Amon G. Carter this weekend. We'll be very excited to be reporting out, out from that. Uh, and, of course, we have Jaden Oberchrome, uh coming on on a space tomorrow to talk a little bit about TCU's uh, rise and what Sonny Dykes has been like, the importance of the rivalry against Texas Tech. That's going to be a great conversation as well. But overall, though, I think especially for TCU fans, I think the thing that is really shocking right now is how well Sonny Dykes has been able to put these pieces together and put together a really comprehensive team. Max Duggan, for a really long time, was the upside blue-chip quarterback who just hadn't seemed to be able to put together in Sonny Cumbie's offense. You have Garrett Riley coming in as the offensive coordinator, and now suddenly he's looking like a guy who might be getting to New York for the Heisman ceremony. Uh, I think right now a lot of people are having a little bit of skepticism, uh, you know, with TCU being undefeated and the lowest-ranked undefeated team right now in the college football playoff. 
I think things will go ahead and settle them out. I mean, Matt Barry said it on the conversation earlier. If you continue to win your games, things are going to settle out as we go along. And of course, with TCU, they're going to have a game against Texas, which will be a ranked game. They've got two rivalry games with Baylor and Texas Tech. And then finally, you got Iowa State to close the year before, you know, presumably you would have a Big 12 championship game against another ranked opponent. Plenty of time left for the Frogs. I would not be worrying about them being number seven right now. You're going to have matchups with Ohio State and Michigan. That's going to sell itself. Tennessee and Georgia is going to settle itself. Alabama and LSU is going to settle itself. A lot of football to be played, and we're going to have a lot of fun watching that as well. Absolutely. Hey, William, you wanted to join us. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, it looks like the mic monster might be affecting him. Well, don't worry, William. We'll be patient. We'll get you up here if, if there's something you got to sort out with the phone. These Twitter space phones, man, they're just something else. So that said, again, if you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit request. Oh, William, I see you're doing it again. We'll get you up here. Sort of funny. Sometimes it's a second time is a charm as we get this going. All right, go ahead and unmute. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, was that me? Sorry, did you call on me? Yeah, I did. How are you doing, William? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I see. It's it's a, I, uh, what I see is literally sometimes just the very beginning of a username. So I don't. I can't read the whole oh, thing. No, no, yeah, no. <laughs> it, for some reason, uh, whenever like I don't know, it, it kicked me off on audio for some reason. Don't worry, you're not the first person that's happened to our co-host Sirius who couldn't make it tonight. He has the worst run of trying to even get on the show, even though he's one of the three guys that typically talks. Nice. So no worries there. So what's up? Hey, uh, yeah, I was curious. Um, who's, uh, who's looking like the odds-on favorite to be the, uh, the group of five in the, in the New Year's Six this year? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a couple of minutes. I think there's maybe four or five teams from, from the fun belt that have a, a great opportunity, but um, I think Cincinnati and UCF both, both look like good challengers. Um, is there a... Do you think there's a leader in the clubhouse for that right now? Yeah, so I mean, I think the American Conference is probably going to be your odds-on favorite this year. This is a really weird year for the G5 in the fact that we don't have a very clear undefeated or a series of one-loss programs. I mean, I think right now, uh, someone please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I believe Liberty and Tulane are the only two non-Power 5 programs uh, that currently have one loss. Uh, Everybody else has had at least one loss on the year, and most everybody else is looking at two or more so far. Obviously, you got Coastal Carolina, uh, which they also have one loss, but uh, they've also got a relatively weak schedule, uh, and if they continue to win out, uh, we might be able to see something. But right now, I think in terms of who is the favorite in the G5, uh, I mean, there's a reason that Tulane is number 19 right now in the college football playoffs off rankings and it's because they have the best g5 win of the year over kansas state uh that's a huge win for the wave uh and the fact that they're going to be continuing to be a threat inside the american uh athletic conference they do have a very stout schedule coming up but right now you really have to like what willie fritz is doing and as of right now i think just by default they're the ones kind of leading that proverbial horse race right now uh granted given the fact that we've had so many losses In the G5, I think it's going to be kind of a chaotic year uh, in terms of who's going to get that automatic New Year's Six bid. But, you know, Bobak, I know that we've had folks on like Coastal Carolina's head coach, Jamie Chadwell. We have had Willie Fritz on the show. Uh, We've had Cincinnati's athletic director here on the show. We have heard from a lot of these G5 decision makers and uh, game changers. What is your initial impact right now when you look at what's happening in the G5 this season? Yeah, I agree. I mean, right now it is Tulane's lead to lose. They just need to, if they can win out, I think they've got it. That's that's theirs right now. And I've always been a big fan of Willie Fritz. Well, the first time I covered Sunbelt Media Days was his second season at Georgia Southern. And when he read his resume of places he'd been, you know, he'd won a couple of junior college national championships at Blinn. He'd been successful at FCS. And then he was the transition coach who took Georgia Southern for a couple of years before he bolted for Tulane. So he's got the ability. I was surprised it took a little while, but now he seems to have that program to where he wants it. Now, whether or not they make it, I I think it's theirs to lose. If they can win out, I don't think there's going to be any question. The the American Conference is strong enough. They'll have wins over some decent teams. If they fall, I think the odds are, you know, UCF, if they can keep winning, might make it. The one Sunbelt team that I can't 
avoid mentioning is Coastal Carolina. Not just because, you know, we, we had Coach Chadwell on, but because, you know, their one loss, that Old Dominion loss, though, looked pretty bad. It wasn't a close one. It was, you know, 49-21. That's, that's makes it a little harder to swallow. But if they can win out as well, we'll see. Maybe if, but things would have to, to fall a certain way. I think Tulane would have to fall. Maybe UCF would have to lose again. Maybe you'd have to have Cincy also, you know, taking a lick and, and dishing it out between those three American teams. Maybe there's just there's too many losses between them. But I think as far as others, this has kind of been a weak year for the G5 in terms of which teams. And in a way, maybe it's that makes it more exciting because, frankly, it's hard to predict who could make it. But there's a lot of options there, at least between those three. And a lot of, you know, who knows my, who else. I, 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 honestly, I'm not sure who else could emerge at this point. But it's a good question. Well, I think it's also another thing of, you know, we've been talking about like the chaos of things that are happening in the G5 right now. I think one thing, especially in the Sun Belt, that has thrown me off a lot and I think has thrown a lot of other people off is, you know, the Sun Belt at the start of the season in September looked really, really insanely good. I mean, we had Appalachian State pulling off the upset in College Station and then getting College Game Day on campus. We had Marshall upsetting Notre Dame. We had this rise of James Madison getting into the top 25 with just five games at the FBS level. Uh, and then suddenly things have just gone haywire left and right. <laughs> Appalachian State... Yeah, you know, is trying to figure out every high and low of a season you can get right now. James Madison and Zawa on a two-game losing streak. Marshall, uh, you know, has gone through their own problems as well. And then Coastal Carolina, I mean, they had a lot of chaos happening with their season as well. And I think it would have been a better case for Coastal Carolina if we continued to see consistency from a Marshall, from a James Madison, from an Appalachian State to really prop up that conference. But, you know, the Mountain West right now is really languishing. There's not really a strong team right now in that division. CUSA, you know, UTSA looks pretty dang good and they're probably going to be angling for the title down there but you know when you have losses to houston and you have a loss to texas it kind of diminishes you know the fact that you know it's not going to have as sterling as a resume as you would like that's why i think it's going to be very intriguing to see what happens and i assume it's going to be the american that ends up getting it because presumably they are the strongest of the g5 teams but you know this could be a year that i really can't rule out you know we end up having a three loss g5 team playing in the new year six just out of default which to me i would welcome that just for the sheer chaos of it i would hope that they post up a good game for whoever they get paired against but man this is probably the widest that we've ever seen the g5 contest at least for the college football <laughs> playoff era is is widest code for the worst i'm not sure but the, the sun you belt know what definitely some of us has have be- different definitions <laughs> the sun belt is definitely taking over the position of being the pac-12 of the g5 in terms of just cannibalism you know you'll have a couple of historically the pac-12 would always be the the conference that seemed to have a couple of people that might make it, and then they just obliterate each other in conference play. And that that's the Sun Belt this season, for better or worse. But again, the outside chance at this point seems to be coastal. Let's see here. You know, certified Chicago fan, you're. we'd love to hear from you. Oh, by the one thing I wanted to add to Coastal, they might have had an opportunity towards the end of the season to make a real signature win, but unfortunately... Their one P5 program they're playing is Virginia, which is just awful this season. So that would have been their opportunity had Virginia been a better program. They're going at Virginia November 19th, but winning at this point, I think they're going to be the favorite going into that game. And, you know, um, the, who knows? Hopefully you'll get on <laughs> linear television and not, you know, be relegated to, to ESPN Plus so that people can see it. But anyway, certified Chicago fan, we'd love to hear from you. What's up? Just sit on mute. Uh, give me just a second here. No worries. Well, I love the fact that he does have an Illinois avatar, and it'll give me any excuse to talk about uh, Brett Bielema. You know, we had Barry Lanning as one of our guests earlier this season. Absolutely love what is happening in Urbana-Champaign. And once certified goes ahead and gets on back up here, I am excited to talk about Illinois. But, you know, Bobak, as we're waiting on that, the Big Ten West this year, you know, we kind of didn't see who was going to be the dominating team in that division, did you see Illinois' rise coming out of anywhere this season? 
I don't think anybody outside of necessarily the hardest core of the Illinois fans or possibly the Illinois coaching staff saw how good they were going to be this season. I think certainly, I mean, of course, the moment they, I mean, they opened with that loss. And I think that was what people thought, okay, it's going to be another kind of fight for the middle for the Illini. But here we are. We're seeing the, and it was so funny yesterday, gosh, on Halloween, I was walking around with some other parents in the area. And, you know, I talked to somebody who's like, you know, I'm actually an Illinois fan. And I was like, oh, man, this has got to be great for you. And he was like, man, I'm a basketball guy. It makes sense. If you go to Illinois, I respect that. You know, they've got a good, solid team. And he went to the school. But, you know, it, it's fun for him. I don't think he understood really what the team had going for it, though. I got that sense. Because <laughs> kind of, he'd been to the school. He's like, yeah, I graduated in like 2002. This is this is wild. And, of course, I had to ask him about, you know, Juice Williams and, and that year where they – the 2007 season where, unfortunately, they had to deal with the 2007 Trojans in the Rose Bowl at the end of that year. That was the year where USC and Georgia should have probably squared off in some way, shape, or form. But instead, you know, USC got a very low ranked for the Rose Bowl, Illinois team, and Georgia got, you know, the Hawaii, which was a solid team, but it was it was a pretty big mismatch. But anyway, I know Certified is kind of trying to to figure out his situation there. But Ryan, what's up? Oh, looks like the uh, we're dealing with that speaker monster today, the mic monster. Let's get Ryan back up. I think he's getting up there now. Let's see. I can hear someone who's trying to unmute. Ryan, are you able to unmute there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. And uh, the mic monster did, did grab me. I had to log out and log back in. But uh, we're back here. Thanks for your patience there. I'm just curious. Uh, you know, I'm looking at these this first week of, of the rankings, obviously, and I see a couple outliers. Uh, one of them, of course, TCU. Um, I, you know, I think I spoke on podcast number 99 about, you know, the woes that they have historically from the College Football Playoff Committee. Um, and it's again, seems to happen, you know, pretty much every time they're relevant. But, you know, curious if someone could speak on, you know, an LSU team that has two losses that's ranked number 10. Um, you know, definitely see a few other teams that, you know, are behind them that I think are, are, are a little bit better. Um, and, you know, I, I'm thinking, is this SEC bias that we're seeing or is LSU really that good of a team? Uh, it's uh, about time where I come in here. <laughs> Certified, you are also welcome on here as well. Uh, I'll quickly address Ryan's uh, question first about LSU real fast. Um, So I think one of the reasons that we're kind of seeing LSU up there at number 10 uh, is I think they're trying to forgive the losses that they had because, you know, FSU, that game was a wild, freaky game that ended on a missed uh, extra point attempt. Uh, And then that loss to the number one team in the country doesn't look that bad when it's the number one team in the country. Uh, but I would think that more so than anything else, anytime a committee is going to get together, they're all going to have some very strong differing opinions on what is a good team, what is a bad team, why should they be ranked the way that they are. I think one of the reasons that LSU has that advantage is because of the way that they dismantled Ole Miss, and they looked really strong in that game against the Rebels. And I think it's also just a little bit of knowing the competition that they have played and will play. I think it's going to be a thing that will eventually settle it out. I think, you know, them being five points ahead of where they were in the AP poll is a little bit suspect, but I'm not necessarily going to go out here and scream SEC bias by any means. Uh, I think this is going to be something that will eventually work itself out. And, you know, I'm going to go on a limb and say that they are probably not going to be in the top 10 after they play Alabama this week. Uh, Now, of course, you know, Brian Kelly pulls off the upset. We are, We'll get into some uh, deeper conversation about that. But I think for right now, I don't think 10 is a bad spot for LSU for the way that they have largely played for the majority of the season. And I think no matter what, they're going to get themselves sorted out no matter what after these first rankings. Absolutely. I think we're going to see that, especially as as the teams play. Hey, certified, go ahead. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, what I was uh, what I was pondering over there while I was looking up stats for uh, TCU here is man I really I really would argue against them being ranked under Alabama especially with their if you look at it they have huge wins I believe four ranked wins in total and two wins over teams that are ranked right now with a win over Kansas State by 10 points number 13 Kansas State and a win over number 18 Oklahoma State by three points no losses I think they'll be contested for a college football playoff spot this year and I think it's dumb that they're uh, ranked below Bama. 
Yeah, so I do want to address that a little bit because, again, I am a TCU guy myself, uh, and I have been through the uh, PTSD of you know TCU and the college football playoff rankings before. Uh, I am not particularly bothered with them being underneath Bama for this first ranking uh, because I think one of the things is a lot of these wins don't have as much luster as they used to. I mean, Matt Barry had kind of addressed it earlier in the talk earlier tonight where you know you hate the phrase "I test." But that is one thing that TCU does have going against it. I think a lot of people have been looking at TCU and going, hey, it's great they're undefeated, but what's really going on? Are they getting exposed at some point? What's going on here? Because let's talk about like some of those ranked wins. So, you know, the win against Oklahoma, huge, huge thing to get over the hump for TCU. Oklahoma, uh, I believe, was uh, one in, or 10 and one against TCU when Gary Patterson was in charge during the Big 12 years. Uh, and then, you know, Sonny Dykes comes out and absolutely demolishes Oklahoma. That's a huge monkey off the back. But then we see Texas go the next week and beat them 49 to nothing. Uh, so it suddenly becomes less of an impressive ranked win. Similar thing with Kansas. You know, Kansas was 5-0, and absolutely rolling. TCU comes in, wins out a nail-biter, and now Kansas has not won a game since. Uh, we look at the Oklahoma State game, and, you know, that's a dogfight. TCU is down by double digits in the second half. They clawed back, win in double overtime. And then this past week, Oklahoma State gets clobbered 48 to nothing by Kansas State. And then finally, you've got the Kansas State game, which they did also win as well. Uh, and they still had to struggle in order to get that game going, to get any kind of control of that game at home. And they won, but then they go the next week against West Virginia, and it's another battle with a come-from-behind game. And I think that's kind of the skepticism that's happening right now with the committee. I don't think it's necessarily they're thinking, oh, TCU is a bad team. It's more I think they trust at least the fact that if Alabama is going to be in a close game, they're going to win it more often than not. And again, Alabama's worst loss, their only loss, is a uh, you know one-score game against the number one team in the country. So I think that's where they're kind of getting that benefit of the doubt where TCU hasn't. And I think one of the other things as well is, you know, if TCU continues to win, they're going to get into the college football playoff. I know that a lot of TCU fans have that PTSD of like, oh, well, you know, we won our games in 2014 and we still got bumped for Ohio State. Well, one of the reasons that they got bumped for Ohio State was because Ohio State won 59 to nothing against a number 15 Wisconsin team in a week that TCU didn't get to play. Now, TCU keeps winning. They win the Big 12 championship, and especially if they run the table, they're going to get into the college football playoff. They're still going to look great if they continue to run the table. And even if they drop a game or two, they will still have the Big 12 championship in their sights. They'll still have a New Year's Six Bowl in their sight. And I think for anybody who's a TCU fan, especially in this first year of Sonny Dykes, I think right now you're playing with house money at this point. Um, so I think pretty confidently, you know, this is probably going to be a really close one between Alabama and TCU for this initial one. It'll probably be close again for the upcoming weeks. But if TCU keeps on winning, they're going to do fine. Hey, let's see here. Miller, I think you're next. We'd love to hear from you. It's good to hear you back. Uh, hey, y'all. I was going to ask about Brian Harson, but uh, we already had a call about that, so I'll give it a break. But oh, we're well, he's welcome. We could talk about whatever. I mean, oh, there's so much to talk about there. No, I'm kind of over it, to be honest. Just happy he's <laughs> gone. Um, but with the way things are going at AM and the recent comparisons between Jimbo Fisher and Kevin Sumlin, how long do you think it'll be um, until the boosters are willing to pony up the cash for his buyout if things continue this way? Hang on, give me a second. I got to go figure out how much a barrel of oil is right now. Give me one second. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, are you actually doing that? <laughs> yes, it's called research. I am a trained professional. Oh, okay. <laughs> My goodness. I, I really am curious because at this point, if Auburn's willing to throw out all that money, and I am convinced, by the way, we're going to reach a point where Auburn's payment of former coaches is going to become one of the economic drivers of the Alabama economy somehow. I'd love to know where that ranks. All that money they're spending in the last couple of years compared to some of the other industries, where would they rank as far as other things that Alabama produces? You know, I'm sure it's not in the top 10, but certainly the amount of money they're, they're throwing out there is impressive. But I'm not, gosh, I wonder if they'll pull that trigger this year. Or do you think they'll wait? What do you think, J.D.? 
All right. Uh, currently, uh, West Texas oil is going for about $88.26 a barrel. If it gets up to about 110 I can imagine them being willing to pull that trigger. Uh, because, again, I think one of the huge things is, you know, they had to pay a King's Ransom to go get Jimbo Fisher because they didn't have the leverage to bring in a coach like Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M at that time that they signed him and gave him that extension. Uh, but, you know, you are now looking, you know what, give him some credit. Texas A&M is not going to finish eight and four on the year this year. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking at a best case scenario of seven and five on the season after you had the number one recruiting class, a coach who was guaranteed $85 million in a buyout. I mean, these are not the results that Texas A&M can put up with. Uh, but, you know, for as long as that money is guaranteed, someone's going to have to take that poison pill. And then you also have to consider, you know, you're willing to buy out that guy. How much is the next guy going to demand in order to be the next head coach of Texas A&M? It's a scary situation right now. I think if you're an administrator at A&M and you got to be sweating a little bit because you got to make something work. I imagine, you know, this is probably the last season for DJ Durkin as their defensive coordinator. They might be looking at a new offensive coordinator, cleaning house with a bunch of assistants because they got to do something to right this ship. And as of right now, I don't think they're going to have the guts to pull out that $85 million to get him off of campus right now. I think it's interesting that you mentioned yesterday when we were talking about Harson that his replacement is probably going to demand some pretty crazy buyout only because they know they're going into a program there at Auburn. And I, sorry to shift it back to Harson, but they know they're going into a program where they pull the rug after, you know, a season and a half. So with so it could be that that next coach, if it is as high caliber as they're hoping, is going to be asking for a Jimbo-like deal to make sure that if they take the risk of joining what sounds like it's going to be a very high-intensity environment. At the very least, they can walk away with a basically a golden parachute for these the the head coach, which, again, I wouldn't blame them. I mean, if someone's going to head in there, right? But it's an interesting question. So, Miller, how about you? What do you think about that? Uh, I haven't given too much thought to Jimbo. Um, I'd have to talk to some of my friends. I went to A&M, what their thoughts are. Uh Really do hate seeing Brian Harson live my dream as a fired college football coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I agree. I think they'll have to throw a, a Jimbo Fisher-type deal at someone to get them to come to Auburn. Uh, hopefully, Lane, that might be a little optimistic, though. I think he's probably one of the leading candidates, only because, I mean, there's a history of that. I mean, they got Tupperville from Ole Miss. He famously said he would leave Ole Miss in the pine box, and then two days later he appeared at Auburn as their head coach. So, who knows? You know, Hugh Freeze is always a possibility. You know, he, he seems to want to be there if they can get over the, the past off-the-field indiscretions. But he's beat Saban a couple of times. So that would make him attractive. I could see that. Yeah, I could see it too. I, I don't know if that's the only metric you can go by, but certainly a big one. Yeah, for sure. Well, Miller, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, man. Appreciate hey, it, Avery, Avery, you've been patient. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? Sure can. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm not generally one to quibble with the committee like at this early stage, um, but I'm really concerned by the rationale that they seem to be using just because like, I do not understand why Clemson gets a pass for playing close games, but still being undefeated. And yet they're ahead of TCU who also has played close games, but has played better teams and Michigan who is undefeated and played one of the most dominating games I've ever seen against Penn state a few weeks ago. So I wondered what your thoughts on that were. So I think at least for Michigan, I think one of the things that they have for being underneath Clemson, uh, I think again, is just going to be that general. If you don't have the clear number one resume, like Tennessee does this year, you kind of got to go down. You got to start doing a couple of tiebreakers. And one of those unfortunate tiebreakers is how good would you be on a neutral field? How good would you be compared to your history? Now, we always say and we always hear that the committee will go, oh, well, we're not going to consider anything else from previous seasons into this consideration. But I'll tell you the reason that the Clemson got that number four and they get that benefit of the doubt this early is because of those two championships that Dabo Swinney has. The reason that Georgia is at number three right now, 
despite the fact that, you know, the real only thing that they have on the resume right now is that win over Oregon. Granted, fantastic win. Uh, the reason that they're at number three, though, is because of that championship that they won last year. The reason Ohio State is at number two uh, and uh, Michigan is at number five right now is the difference is Ohio State does have a national championship within the lifetime of the college football playoff. Michigan's only been to the playoffs once. That's kind of the reason why we've seen so early. We kind of see that kind of shifting, and I think it's another reason of why Alabama – might even be higher than TCU right now because, again, I think a lot of people are looking at those teams and going like, well, you probably historically will mess up somewhere down the lines. When is that going to be? But, again, it is early in the season. I think, uh, you know, Matt Berry had explained it best earlier on the show, uh, earlier tonight when he said it's screaming season. Of You know, we're screaming about stuff that doesn't really matter as of right now. It's great television. It's great entertainment. Uh, But when it comes down to, you know, the chairman having to come out and try to give rationale, he's just throwing darts at a board, trying to figure out, you know, even if I don't agree with it, I got to speak for our committee as a whole. And I'm going to throw this word salad out there to try to make it all make sense. Uh, Once again, Michigan, I think they're a fantastic program, the way that they have handled their business against Penn State and against all the other teams that they've had on their schedule where they've won either in convincing fashion or in Brazilian fashion. I mean, I think of the Maryland game of, you know, them being able to stick it out, hold on to that game and still win in a challenging trap game environment. Uh, I think it's all going to be settled out because Ohio state and Michigan have to play by the end of the season. And that winner of that game is going to be a de facto playoff participant. Uh, But no, I don't disagree. I think, you know, you could flip around Michigan and Clemson right now. Uh, And if this were the final playoff ranking, I think a lot of us would be a lot more in arms. But uh, Bobak, I mean, we've all seen it before. We've got a lot of football still left to be played. We do. And I was just thinking of something that would really cause havoc next week for the rankings is if we have, because obviously, theoretically, Tennessee and Georgia playing each other might clear a space that allows Michigan to move up. But what if it doesn't? What if we just see, what if Georgia beats Tennessee and Tennessee just moves down to like number four? And Ohio State and Clemson move up with Georgia as number one. Or Tennessee beats Georgia. You know, it's a close game, which I think a lot of people would expect, and they only move down one. Then I could see a lot of angry fans at that point. Even though, again, it would still be early. There'd still be a lot of season to be played. And I think certainly it helps that the game between Michigan and Ohio State is late in the season. That's going to help, I think, a lot with playoff ranking position, particularly if those two programs keep doing what they're doing on the field. So that said, let's keep on moving here. Cody, what's up? Good to hear from you again. Hey guys, how are we doing this evening? Good. Excellent. Good, good, good. good. Um, so totally a subject that I don't think I've seen anyone talk about, but just it's more of a curiosity. I have two things, but the first topic is, I could see a potential opening for a job at a power group of five school, uh, San Diego state. Um, I think it's a very interesting place to be a coach, especially since it, it could be a group power five school within the next decade. I think Brady Hoke is just so mediocre right now. I know maybe not a lot of people watch their games, but I'm on the West coast. So I, I can, I'll stay up usually for those games. And they're such a boring team to watch the last two years. They've just been, flat and boring and they have no quarterback whatsoever um i think they uh if they do get an opening i'm curious what you guys think maybe could take over that job also i could potentially see maybe auburn pulling usc and just grabbing someone from another school uh i would like to hear your thoughts on that thank you i do i do real quick uh i have watched a couple sesu games san diego state games they looked very reminiscent of illinois in the lovey years that's actually an interesting observation. You know, I I'm I think a lot of people are a little surprised at San Diego State this season. This isn't a typical year for them. I mean, they're 50-50 right now, 4-4, four and four, and, you know, 2-2 two two in the Mountain West. And, you know, typically they've been stronger. I mean, Brady Hoke, obviously he had some weaknesses at Michigan, started off strong and kind of tapered off there. But prior to that, you know, I, I still remember the Ball State teams he coached and, and that couple of years he did at San Diego State. So seeing him return there seemed promising. I mean, they were at 12 wins last season. They won to the Frisco Bowl and uh, put a, you know, they, they I, I don't know if upset's the right word, but they certainly handled 
UTSA, which was another Cinderella team last season. But this year, I mean, I think no one expected that. First of all, they had a really clunky opener. Not only did they lose to Arizona, but the, you know, it's tough opening a new facility, especially when Snapdragon Stadium, a beautiful facility, but it had the worst possible scenario. It was the hottest day for a San Diego State in history. And the game was just too hot for a lot of people. We had a reporter at the stadium and, you know, he was just happy to be indoors. And lots of reporting, not just from us, have, have said that that was a really clunky start to the season. And then, you know, they go to play at Utah, and Utah's a strong team again. So they lose there. That's acceptable. That's tolerable. And then it's just been kind of a hit and miss ever since. They lost the milk jug or the milk can to Fresno State. We enjoyed watching that game. <laughs> it was a late night Mountain West. But I don't know if they'll move from Brady Hoke this season. I think... He would need at least one more. They'd give him that much because there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. I know they just fired their offensive coordinator. They've had some pretty messy stuff off the field. I don't want to revisit that, but it's it's a messy season. Although, gosh, you know, <laughs> I know Sirius is suggesting this. Dude, what if they put Brian – what if they, they <laughs> jettison – Hoke and they get Brian Harson because he can win in that conference. And certainly San Diego State's got the potential They're They've been talked about forever as being an addition to one of the P fives, because especially for the PAC 12 or the big 12, if you want to get in Southern California, they're the team that's left. I mean, there's no way you're going to get USC and UCLA to leave that money deal. San Diego State's always been kind of a sleeping giant because, you know, San Diego's a huge city. People don't seem to realize necessarily how big they are. They don't have a pro team anymore. And the opportunity to, to d develop there with all the talent, the local talent, is, is there's, a, there's a real possibility there. Can I add something? Sure. Sorry to interrupt. So no, I, I lived in San Diego for 24 years. I moved to Tucson uh, just eight months ago. So I, the, the problem also San Diego State has, they don't really market to the fans. If you, if you go around San Diego, it's mostly USC fans. You know, you have. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, you it, other teams, of course, but mostly I think USC dominates at least fan wise San Diego. I could be wrong. Just kind no, of. You're right. You're absolutely team. right. And I know San Diego well enough to know you're, you're you're dead on with that assessment. I remember I don't even think it's open anymore, but I went to the San Diego Sports Hall of Fame in Balboa Park years ago. And like everyone in college was like a USC guy. They were talking about there was like one little. I think who's a, who's that one superstar running back that they had who Marshall Falk Marshall Falk like I really think he should have won the Heisman he just had the the unfortunate thing of being on a team that wasn't very good but he was like the whole reason that team was so stellar but like that was it hey Marshall Falk and then a bunch of USC players that was that was <laughs> the entire focus of the Hall of Fame in terms of college folks so you're absolutely right about that but there's always been that a potential I mean they they are though one of those teams that's constantly called a sleeping giant to the point where you wonder if they're Rip Van Winkle and they're ever going to wake up. But the potential's there. It's a shame Rocky Long retired in this way because I, I really liked him. He was an old-school dude. I've interviewed him probably, oh gosh, three times, and every time you just kind of sit listening to him rap. Just an old-school coach who really wasn't afraid to talk about what was going on. And he, did, he was very honest, though, I mean, because the budget they had at the time they were limited to basically just recruiting in California, you know, Southern California, Nevada, and, and Arizona. And that was about it for where they could really afford to kind of stretch their recruiting budget. And they made it work for the most part, especially under Long. But you, it, you can definitely win in San Diego State. And if they end up going to one of the other P5s that are trying to kind of, you know, uh, fortify themselves, I think there's a potential for them to take that next step up. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to be like a championship caliber team, but they would certainly be easily able to compete with the remaining teams in either the Big 12 or the Pac-12. Also, their stadium has no shade, and that's very disappointing. San Diego yeah, exactly. does get hot. <laughs> that goes exactly to what we were just talking when I was talking about the beginning. Like that mostly, and I, I kind of get what San Diego State was doing. They mostly play their games at night. They mostly come out at night, mostly. Sorry, couldn't resist the Aliens reference. But yeah, that was the worst possible game for them. It was a, a sunny daytime game and the hottest it's ever been in San Diego. And fans were just frying out there. So 
Hopefully, they'll be a little bit smarter with that scheduling. I think they will be. I think that was the excitement. They got Arizona to come down. It was going to be a huge game. And then it just, you know, you hear about that all the time. Though I've heard pro stadiums opening and just having disastrous first games. Usually, though, you make sure to play it with like a high school. You invite some high school team to come and play. Just kind of it's not a huge crowd, but you can kind of stress test it or have like a concert and see how a mass crowd enters and exits the facility. I just don't think they quite got that. So it was a really unfortunate uh, opening for what could otherwise be a really solid stadium down there. One last thing, and I'll stop. I, I don't mean to take over. I do apologize. Um, so, yeah, like Petco Park in San Diego, when they first opened, San Diego State actually played a game there. Uh, just like like you said, small crowd, like a stress test. I, I totally agree with that. Um, but also, can we the Auburn thing, do you think they'll just poke away another coach? Or do you think they're just going to hire a free agent coach? Thank you. Well, we, and I know JD has some thoughts on this, but they definitely, I think, are going to go and try and poach a coach. I don't think they're even going to necessarily go after a, a coordinator. I think that athletic director just got there. His first thing he did the same week was fire the head coach and eat that huge buyout. And we've said this before, but athletic directors hiring a football coach and to a lesser degree, unless you're at like Kansas, hiring a basketball coach are those signature moves that people are going to remember you for. Mike Garrett was a complete disaster in a lot of ways as the athletic director of USC, but he hired Pete Carroll. He fell backed into Pete Carroll. It was his fourth choice. But at the same time, you make that great hire and people remember it. So I think he's going to want to make a, a, a grand slam hire. And if he hires anything less than a sitting head coach, I would think some people said no. And I think... We're going to see, I mean, the big three are that, that I think we're going to see at least in these initial stages talked about the most. Can he get Lane Kiffin to leave Ole Miss, throwing tons of money at him and do exactly what they did, excuse me, when they hired Tuber, Tuberville back in the day um, in the, after the famous Pine Box comment, he said that he would never leave Ole Miss outside of a Pine Box and two days later he was at Auburn. Can they get... I mean, are they willing to go with someone like a Hugh Freeze who has won in the SEC but left for off-the-field stuff? He can win. He's doing great at Liberty. Liberty's got one loss right now. They seem to be solid. He seems to still know how to coach. He always has known how to coach on the field. They can eat that kind of off-the-field stuff he might be willing. Although, I can't help but think of how they were trying to get Harson out over the summer. They were trying to plant some really wild rumors of what he had done so it would be ironic if they then go to a guy who actually was caught doing some of those things <laughs> to replace him. Hey, man, it just course, gets them out of the buyout a little bit faster and a little bit easier for cause. <laughs> yeah, they'll just put an ankle bracelet around him just to be sure, you know, that way they can they can get him out of there. Maybe that'll be it. If they hire him, it's going to have a very the most complicated morality clause ever put into a college football coaching contract. And then, of course, maybe they'll they'll just go down and, and grab Dion. Who knows? That that would be the other option there. Although that would be a bit bold, like going for Dion Sanders at this point. First of all, I don't know. If, I'd almost be worried about Dion. I mean, not worried about him, but his personality is so much of his success. And going into that craziness of what Auburn is like in general, I don't know if, how well they'd fit together. He he should go somewhere. I think he'd do well somewhere where they'd give him room to just be let Dion be Dion, and and he'd be stellar. But I'm not sure if Auburn's necessarily going to take that risk on him. And and who knows? I mean, the the probably the the highest caliber person who isn't currently head coaching is Matt Rule. But I'm not sure if he'd be a fit there. We talked about it yesterday. I think JD and I think he'd be a bit better at Nebraska. But JD, you can go ahead. And... Well, I was just about to say when you're talking about coaches who aren't on the market, how dare you do this conversation of you know who's a guy who has beaten Nick Saban, who's available on the market. Oh, I mean, oh. Urban Meyer. Yeah. Urban Meyer is one of those guys that they could try to swing for the fences and try to pick up on there. If you're going to be talking about, you know, coaches who are not <laughs> on the market right now, it's not exactly like he's coaching another program right now. So we're going to combine that rule and Hugh Freeze into one guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, <laughs> uh, you know. Saban. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You know, well, Bill O'Brien is, I think, of the uh, of the the offensive, probably of the coordinators. He would be one that would make a lot of sense because he has been a successful head coach in college, and then you know went to the pros, and then is now kind of getting back into the college groove with the ultimate university for coaches who actually, in his case, can coach well at the college level. But 
Hey, Joe Dean, what's up? It's good to see you again, man. Hey, good to see you too. What's up? What's on your mind? Um, I was wondering if you didn't mind talking a little bit about Rutgers football. What do you think? Maybe the hell yes, hell yes, absolutely. JD, you a Rutgers fan over there? You know what? I'm just here for chaos, and you know we're interviewing Princeton's uh, head coach here this week. You know, just like Princeton invented football, and they can take it away at any time. Rutgers can do the same exact thing. So I'm here to respect <laughs> Rutgers football, to let them have us have college football. I, I like to hear it. Um, yeah, I know I know Princeton's got a big uh, Bergen Catholic pipeline. Some of their best players are from Bergen Catholic High School in New Jersey. I know Rutgers offensive coordinator, Nunzio Campanelli, um, interim offensive coordinator at least, over from, uh, from Bergen Catholic. If you think maybe he has a chance of sticking out the job and what you think the ceiling is for Rutgers, like going forward in the Shiano era, like whether that's just being bowl eligible every year or potentially, I mean, I know they're in like the conference of death over there in the Big Ten with Michigan and Ohio State, if they can somehow get a a realignment of that conference. (laughs) That's a great point. I mean, I'm really curious to see how things get changed up when the two LA schools join. I'm not saying they're going to be in the same with Rutgers. I mean, that would be, <laughs> but I, I think we'll, we'll definitely see some shuffling, although I'm not, not super optimistic on who they're going to be stuck with. I mean, what do you think, JD? I mean, I think we're probably going to move more into a pod system whenever we see the expansion of the uh, big 10. Once you see UCLA and USC join the conference, I can't imagine, you know, they'd be trying to fly teams across the country uh, on a regular basis. But to answer that original question, though, of what is that ceiling looking like for Rutgers? I think right now, consistent bowl eligibility is definitely going to be a long-term thing that Rutgers is trying to get. I don't think anybody's there on the guise of, you know, we're going to compete and beat uh, Michigan and Ohio State year in and year out. I don't think anybody is dreaming that right now, but I think they're definitely dreaming of, you know, Hey, let's be competitive against Maryland. Let's be competitive and win games against Indiana. Let's win our non-conference games that we do schedule, which they were successful with that this season to start off the year. I mean, they were three and Oh, uh, with some impressive wins over, uh, Boston college. Uh, they had, a uh, the very hapless Wagner as their, uh, FCS school. They beat temple, uh, you know, then they kind of got that reality check of, you know, they got, uh, Iowa is a reality Iowa. check. Think about what you just said. If Iowa is your reality check, hey, listen, wrong. listen, Nunzio, Nunzio, interim Nunzio was <clears throat> not exactly, uh, you know, an established man just yet until Iowa had to come to town. Easy. He wasn't, he didn't have the job yet. I know. Well, that's well, why I'm saying he wasn't an established man yet. We've seen what happened with interim Nunzio, which is the best name to say in all of college football. I absolutely love it. Uh, well, this <laughs> DJ, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Not to, uh, not to interrupt. What's going on with the Big Ten? Why is it that, I mean, basically, out, out of all the teams in the Big Ten, I mean, we're only talking about Michigan and Ohio State. What, you know, I, I just don't understand with, you know, like uh, Ruckles and, you know, the Illinois and and all these schools, you know, uh, is it that they not, they can't get no players or is it, is it, or is it Ohio state? Is, is they just that, is that just where all these five stars recruits want to go? You know, it uh, is kind of one of those situations where, and by the way, hi, sorry about that. Uh, the, um, where it, the rich get richer. I think to some extent you have folks who, who there is a dream. You want to get to the NFL. You can't blame these guys. You know, you're going to go to college, you want to make the most out of it. You hope to perform at your best, not get injured, and you hope to go to a school that's known for developing talent because I think that's a huge deal, especially when we're talking football more than basketball. So I think you go to the school that – it's a combination of things. Now, don't get me wrong. I think a school like a Rutgers or a school like Illinois or you know the, the, the other Big Ten teams can bring in those players but just not at that level of consistency. you got to find – folks who maybe and maybe that's a bit of it sometimes you can get one or two surprise players maybe poach that that five star or four star but you won't get a consistent class of that instead you got to prove yourself with the ones you can get you'll still get some solid players i mean they're good players in new jersey there's good players throughout that region it's you know it's easy to kind of forget that when so much of it talks about what's available in the south because obviously the south and and to a lesser extent california which has become a little less 
talent rich over the years as more players there have started shift to basketball over it, the years. It, but exactly. But I think they can do it. It's just unfortunately it takes a little more time. So I think, for example, yeah. a school like Rutgers, like we're talking about, if Shiano can consistently get guys into the league. If he can consistently develop players out, if he builds a program that might not be able to always topple in Ohio State or or Michigan, but can you know stay competitive and get those guys the eyeballs from the scouts, uh, you know, and get them into pro days where they can perform and get into the league, I think for sure they, they they'll be able to pull in recruits consistently. Now again. It's never going to be uh, an even Steven thing there, and that's part of the nature of college football. Ohio State's always going to have the ability to offer more, unless a lot of things change over a much longer period of time. But that's where you got you know Minnesotas and and the 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 the, the uh, Marylands and all of this. The West Conference. Okay, so let me let me ask y'all this then. Um, this year, I'm, I'm just speaking about this year. Do you think this is the best talent and roster? That Ohio State then has, um, we just say over, we'll just say about the last ten years. Um, I think right now it's a little hard to say that. I think one of the things that we always got to remember is Ohio State typically has always had depth, and mm-hmm. that was probably best exemplified in that 2014 team that won it all with yep. you know their right. third string quarterback, you know, Amen. going on an absolute blitzkrieg right. during the playoffs of the championship. Right, um, but. I think it's very clear that, you know, this is one of the deepest and best wide receiving cores that they've mm-hmm. ever had in the last decade or so. I think mm-hmm. this defense looks substantially more improved because I know one of the issues that they had in recent years uh, was that Kerry Coons uh, instructed defense. You know, we saw a lot of gaps, especially on the defensive backs, uh, mm-hmm. where they were giving up big explosive plays. They're not doing that this year with their new defensive coordinator. And I think one of the things that we're going to continue to see with Ohio State is, you know, C.J. Stroud is going to be a Heisman finalist. Whether he ends up winning the trophy or not, he's going to be in New York this year. He's got a great offensive line in front of him. He's got strong running backs that he can split the load with. Well, I think um, Marvin Harris. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. within the, we'll say about within the next five years, I think he'll be the best receiver in the NFL. Um, the only thing about C.J. Stroud, I, I know he's going to come off the board first, but we just haven't seen quarterbacks from Ohio State do good in the NFL. And I just, I, I think he will have to end up in the perfect situation for him to do well. Because those, like I said, those quarterbacks, they just don't do good in the NFL. And uh, I just wanted to get y'all guys' take on that. Yeah, that's – oh, go ahead, J.D. Go ahead, please. I was going to say, like, uh, you know, historically, Ohio State has a lot of strong talent around them. We've kind of seen the same thing out of Alabama quarterbacks. We've kind of seen the same thing, you know, essentially out of every powerhouse that isn't, you know, a USC in the mid-2000s where they, you know, have the string of, like, the Carson Palmers and the Matt Leinarts and all that. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely a different game when you go up into the NFL and everybody has the same talent as you do. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily a thing of like, you know, oh, I feel like throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison today. Oh, I feel like throwing the ball to uh, Smith today. I feel like throwing Mm -hmm. the ball to, you know, these other four and five star guys as we're playing against competition that we know that we're already better on paper than. Uh, mm-hmm. And then suddenly it becomes a lot more of like, hey, I actually have to think about my reads, my progressions, making sure that the defense can't follow my eyes when I'm trying to develop this play. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's why we've seen Ohio State uh, quarterbacks maybe not do as well. Justin Fields, I think, still is probably the best case uh, to see what happens talent-wise with him and the Chicago Bears. But, you know, Bob Ack, I'll be the first to admit this is a college football uh, obsession that we have. Uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to the NFL and that composition, uh, you know, once they get drafted, it's a little bit out of my it's, purview. Right. Yeah, a, I got to admit right. that. I'm the same way. Hey, you know what? Hey, betting monster, it's been great talking to you, man. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hey, Joe, I know you wanted to add something more real quick. Uh, what's up? I was just going to check in. Um, on your guys' take, do you think recruits care about maybe an NFL guy like Pacheco, who's like a second or third string running back on the Chiefs? Or did they, are they looking for more, when we started talking about Chiano producing pro talent, more star-studded NFL talent when they're looking at programs? Because obviously some programs do have that star-studded talent in the league every year. 
I can tell you as a guy that is in high school right now that plays football, we'd absolutely appreciate it if your coach or whoever has a background of playing good to great to amazing in whatever level of football you were. Yeah, and I know, and JD, I know you probably have a thought on this too. Certainly, and, and by the way, I love thanks, certified. That was actually great to hear your opinion on it, just because you're you're in the middle of it right now. I mean, I'm old now, so for me, it's a, <laughs> I could barely even remember that. But I, and also the the whole world was different when when I was in high school in the '90s. But the 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 attraction to finding people who can deliver talent is certainly based on coaches, and it's based on those relationships. I think some people maybe perhaps almost put a little too much emphasis on the, the head coach in terms of recruiting. They're important. I mean, the, some guys live and breathe it. That's what Nick Saban is the best at, is his recruiting. There was a, a book we had with John Talty. We had him on back in the offseason. He wrote a book on Nick Saban, and his entire, his entire coaching philosophy is just about bringing in the best recruits, and then he'll bring in, you know, good coordinators who can make the most of the recruits, but his entire focus when he got, he told them when he went to Alabama, he, as he was going there, he told the, uh, the athletic director and the boosters, you've got yourself a so-so coach, but you'll have the best recruiter you've ever had as he was leaving. Cause everyone remembers that NFL fiasco. I mean, well, not everyone got him old, but some of you will remember what it was like when he went to the NFL, he just didn't care for it. And then he gets back and that was his whole thing. I think once he came back, he knew if I'm going to do this again, Everything in that entire program is going to be about bringing in the best possible folk, the best possible young talent he can, and then he'll do the best to to develop them out. So, all that said, you know, having guys who who've been there before, having guys who can develop that, it, they go in, they go hand in hand. But I think you're right, and and that's the thing. Again, we we're talking about eighteen year old, sometimes a little older. Uh, and especially older if you're at BYU, right? But they, they, you got kids who, they've got all sorts of reasons they want to go there or not. And sometimes, you know, I, I think, <laughs> oh my gosh, hey, that that's great. Oh, so you have a, you have a roadcaster as well or something like that. I think I got, let me see. Oh, wait, oh, there we go. Hey, but um, <laughs> Jenny, what are your thoughts on this, man? Um, again, as a guy who has not been in uh, high school in a very hot minute, um, I think one of the biggest things that, any college football recruit is going to go look for is what are you going to do to elevate me, my family, and make sure that I can take care of my needs through football. And they're going to turn to the coaches who have the ability to say, hey, you know what? I can put you in the NFL. I can make sure that you got food on the table. I'm going to make sure that you can take care of your mama. I'm going to make sure that I have that recruiting base and that development talent track to make sure that if you want football to be a career, I can make that happen. And I think that's why we've seen Nick Saban be the best at the best of recruiting because he has that track record. That's why we're seeing Kirby Smart rising up at Clemson. That's why we're seeing Dabo Sweeney can get away with offering so few scholarships because people trust that name enough. And I think really when it comes down to it, if you're playing at a high level of high school football – and you want to continue on in college, it is very likely you want to continue on as long as you are able, and you're going to do anything you can to try to push forward. I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, high school football players who go, hey, you know what, I want to go play a little bit of college football and then just call it a day and go get a business degree and figure out my life later. I think there's a lot of guys who, especially at 17, 18 years old, want to go, I want to be able to be the best that I can at this sport for as long as I can, and be ready for when I'm out of college, uh, as opposed to just, hey, you know what, here for a short time, here for a good time, let's just figure out what happens. They're looking for ways that they can improve their sport, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why when you know folks are looking for their next opportunity, that's what they're looking for. Yeah, definitely a D1. Uh, I've covered D3. Those are guys who really are playing, I think, for the fun of it, for the most part, but... Uh... Especially, I always think of MIT. i got to get one of those coaches on. That's one of my off-season goals is I'm going to get a coach from MIT because one of them in the middle of the, uh, the middle of the season, like actually during the season, tweeted out, hey, you got anyone out there who wants to be on our team, just send me your SAT scores and we'll talk. That was basically what he wrote. So still MIT. Anywho, we've been going on for about an hour. That's typically as long as we like to do on Tuesday nights. We enjoy hearing from you. Just wanted to thank all of you for joining us. This is 
RCFB Talk 103. My name is Bob Ekhayeri. I was joined by J.D. Moore. Thank you all for joining us. We always enjoy talking to you. This has been our one-year anniversary. One year ago on this Tuesday with midweek action starting on Tuesdays, with the first CFB playoffs with Monkey Gate, we started this and we've kept on going and somehow nearly, we almost exactly did 100 shows in the first year, although it's because it kind of accelerated. We were doing like one a week and then suddenly we're doing like a half dozen, it felt like, every week. But here we are. We enjoy working with you. We enjoy talking to you. Thanks for joining us. Now, I'm hang up and listen.